Welcome to the Well Community Church Podcast. For more information on us and our mission to help people connect to God and to each other in every neighborhood, check us out at thewellcommunity.org or on our app, The Well Friends. Amen. Well, good evening, everybody. It's so good to be here with you tonight. My name is Josh, and I'm one of our campus pastors here at The Well, and uh, excited to be able to share from God's Word with you tonight. As Chase mentioned earlier, we're finishing up our series in 2 Timothy, so we'll be in chapter 4, looking at the last verses, verses 9 through 22. So if you've got your Bibles, you want to go ahead and start turning over there. While you're doing that, I want you to, uh, to think about uh, your life for just a moment And for probably most of us in this room, we would say we are walking with Christ, that at some point in our lives, our faith became our own. There may be some of you here today who are saying, I'm kind of in that, on that journey right now, and I'm I'm processing, and that's great. We're glad that you're here. But I want you to think, if you've been walking with Christ for any length of time, or even if you're on the journey right now, who are the people that were involved in you kind of making your faith your own? Think about that time in your life. What people did God use in your life? I know for me, I was 19 years old and I was not walking with Christ. I'd been raised with a Christian worldview, but I had not truly embraced the gospel for myself. And so keep in mind, I'm 19 years old. It's 1992, right? I mean, I should have probably repented for the Z Cavariccis. I was wearing that alone should have been enough. But, but, but actually, I, um, I was kind of living my own way. I mean, I had a community around me but it was a community that was forming me in such a way that went in the complete opposite direction of what God's word talks about living a life for Christ. But my dad, he was a facilities manager at a church. He was uh, having people pray for me kind of behind my back. I didn't know. And then a classmate of mine, her name was Cindy. About a year after he graduated high school, she got married to a guy named Tom and they had a wedding at a church and she was one of those people that just, you know, was magnetic and Felt like half our senior class who had graduated a year before was at her wedding. And at this wedding, they talked about the love of Christ being the foundation of their marriage. And it was completely different than where most of us were at in our lives in terms of the kind of ways we were pursuing relationships. And Christ was glorified and it was powerful. And afterwards, a non-Christian friend of mine named Jason, he said, hey, I really like that church. Why don't we start going there? That wedding was really cool. And I said, sure, I mean, that's the church I grew up in. My dad works there and I live across the street. I think I can manage that. (laughs) But as we were going to church, and I'll be honest with you, just to give you an idea of what I was kind of like at that time, I was showing up with hangovers and I was barely keeping my eyes open when the sermon started. My friend even who was like, you know, non-Christian, he's like, hey, why don't you pay more attention to the sermon, right? (laughs) But here's what happened is a pastor named Ed Noble, as he taught from God's word and as I heard him preach the gospel something awakened inside of me, like the Holy Spirit opened my eyes to the depth of my own depravity and my sin. And I embraced the gospel. I truly embraced the risen Christ who had died for me in my place and had risen from the grave. And at that point then, I began to find my way into the church's college, uh, college group and college ministry. And there was a guy there, one of the leaders named Joey Walker, and he grabbed a hold of me and he said, hey, you need to be discipled. I was like, what does that mean? He said, I'm going to teach you God's word and show you how to share your faith and how it works in real life. And he grabbed me and some other guys. And then I had friends, guys named Richie and Daniel and Todd, a whole bunch of others who began to pour into my life, just fellow college students at this time. 
And then the college pastor, his name was Joe Broussard, he uh, grabbed a hold of me and he said, hey, I'm going to mentor you. And he trained me in pastoral ministry. During those years, I also met my wife, Chris. We've been married now for 27 years. And I can honestly tell you that in the four years or so that I spent in that college ministry, my life was completely transformed from who I was before I started that journey with Christ and who I was on the back end of that. But both in that season of life and in all the years since, the 90s, that I have followed Christ, one of the things that I learned during that time and I've continued to learn is that to experience true transformation in Christ, we, we are called to walk with God and we're also called to walk in authentic biblical community with God's people. I could not imagine that life in Christ without the people that God brought into my life as well during those years. See, here at The Well, we often talk about three means of grace that God uses in our life. God's word, God's spirit, and God's people. And of course, we know it all works together. If we are God's people, we are filled with God's spirit, we are being formed by God's word. And the truth is, we are either moving towards community with God's people, or we are moving away in isolation away from God's people. We don't stay static. We're moving in one direction or the other in our lives. And so as we come to 2 Timothy 4, we're going to see this beating heart that Paul has for the people of God and for living in authentic community as those people. Uh, just a reminder of the context, he writes this around 64 to 66 AD. Paul is in prison at this time. In fact, it's his final imprisonment that he will experience he is uh, on death row, and the Lord has revealed to him in one way or another that this is it, like he is going to be executed very soon. And so he writes this letter to Timothy, as Mike talked about last week, a young man that Paul has poured his life into. Timothy has been raised up as the pastor now in a city called Ephesus, a prominent city in uh, the Roman Empire. Modern-day Turkey is where it's located, and he, he writes to encourage Timothy because as this false teaching movement is, is sweeping through this region. Timothy is tempted to kind of shrink back or to, to not step up, and Paul's encouraging him, he's comforting him, and he's challenging him. No, God is with you. He has brought you this far. You have his word, you have his spirit, you have his people, and I've passed the baton of ministry on to you, Timothy, and now I'm gonna go for good, and you have to step up even more, but you can do this. So we start with verse nine, and we read this. It says, Make every effort to come to me soon. Paul is urging Timothy to come and visit him in Rome, to not take his time, and speed was of the essence. The reasons, a couple of them. First of all, as I already mentioned, Paul knew his time was short. So if Timothy didn't hurry up and get on over, he might actually be gone before Timothy made it. And this was a long trip. I mean, this wasn't like Timothy's gonna hop on a plane, you know, take a red-eye flight and just be there the next day. No, uh, Rome and Turkey had a distance of over 800 miles between the cities. So Paul's sending a dude with a letter to go take it to Timothy. Timothy's got to read this letter, process, get ready for the trip, and then take off to head to Rome. A round trip of over 1,600 miles. There will be some boats involved, but a lot of it on foot. This is going to take a few months. So Paul's like, you got to hurry and get here. But even more importantly than that, can you just kind of hear his heart? Can you sense the desperation in his voice? Can you sense how deeply 
He just longs to see Timothy right now. Back in chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, he had said this to Timothy, I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. So the first thing that this text shows us about authentic community among God's people is that it needs to be up close and personal. Paul wanted face-to-face contact with Timothy. Prayers weren't enough. Letters weren't enough. He wanted Timothy to come and to be with him. He wanted relationship, and he doesn't hold back. Make every effort, he says. I think we got a taste of this recently in our lives, didn't we? Think back just a couple years. I know we try to forget, but 2020, most of us were forced to shelter in place, uh, at least for church. We, we did that for a while, right? We, we did church on online only, Meetings were on Zoom. I mean, it was, now, there's some good that came out of it, you know, for our family, and our oldest son came home from college, and we got to have a lot of dinners together, and we weren't spending crazy money on gas because we weren't going anywhere. You know, there's some good out of it, some family times. But for a lot of people, there weren't those good times. In fact, uh, during that time, we saw skyrocketing records of mental health issues and anxiety issues and even suicides, especially among young people that took place. We're still reeling from the effects, really, of that time. But, but one of the things that I think it taught us, even if we had a good situation at home, is that we couldn't long as God's people to finally gather together and be face-to-face. If any of you were there for that first outdoor gathering at the Clovis campus, I mean, that was a time of joy. Even with the apocalyptic smoke and ashes falling from the sky, it was just like we can't wait to be together to see each other, maybe to shake hands even and, and hug. And, and we were just reminded of how important um, face-to-face, in-person contact is for authentic community. Zoom's great. Phone calls are good. Texting can be a useful little tool to connect. But man, if we can be face-to-face. So we see that here about authentic community. Now moving on to verse 10. He says, For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Here's another characteristic that we're gonna experience if we move towards authentic community is that sometimes it's gonna bring some heartache and pain. Demas, who is this guy? Well, he's mentioned three times in the New Testament. First time it's in Philemon, verse 24, and he's, uh, he's called a fellow uh, worker along with Mark and Luke. Then he's mentioned in Colossians 4.14, and it's just called Demas. There's no positive or negative attributes given to him. But now if the third time he appears here in 1 Timothy 4, verse 10, he's the one who has loved this present world and deserted Paul. It's almost as if the New Testament traces this man's downfall. His life serves kind of as a cautionary tale to all of us. He's a contrast to verse 8 that we saw last week that Paul talks about those who love the appearing of the Lord Demas loves this present world, and he takes his eyes off of the Lord. But he deserts Paul, one in whom he had served with, one who most likely led him to Christ and had poured into his life. Can you imagine, if you're Demas, that Paul is in this prison. He's, he's, he's just, you know, wiltering away, and he's begging you, would you stay with me? I'm lonely. And, and you, just, you just say, no, I'm leaving. I'm out. It's too hard. And, and this is what Demas does. But You know, rather than just judging Demas, I think we need to learn from his life that even if we serve side by side with a spiritual giant, it's no guarantee that we're going to be faithful. We have to develop our own relationship with the Lord. 
We don't grow spiritually by osmosis. We have to intentionally move towards community with God's people. Demas has moved away from all of this. So there's heartache and there's pain. And, and uh, you know, sometimes in our lives we might experience this as we take the risk of entering into relationships. And it may be like a Demas. There may be somebody who turns away from the Lord and betrays you or, or hurts you in some way. But you know, some of the heartache and pain that comes, it's not all because of bad reasons. There can actually be good reasons that still lead to pain. Look at the next two guys here, Crescens and Titus. They're kind of tied together, so their purpose for leaving Paul is aligned. It's similar. We don't know much about Crescens, but we do know that he's gone to Galatia, which is a place where Paul had planted a church. Titus we know a lot more about because he has a letter written to him that's in the New Testament. Paul had left Titus at an at a island called Crete to take care of all these problems in the church. So we know Titus is a godly leader. So we can see that these two men have been sent out by Paul from Rome to go minister at churches where he had planted uh, these congregations. And so they left for good reasons, God-given reasons, kingdom reasons. But it still hurts. Paul's still human, still misses these guys. And so, see, heartache and pain in Christian community can, can sometimes be for bad reasons like Demas, but it can also be for, for good reasons. But we can expect that to be a part of it at times. Then we move to verse 11. He says, only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. Well, Paul's connection here with uh, Luke and Mark shows us that authentic community, relationships among God's people are also called to be resilient and restorative. Luke is a man who Paul elsewhere has called the beloved physician. This is a guy who wrote the gospel of Luke. He wrote the book of Acts. He went with Paul on missionary journeys. He was with Paul during his entire first imprisonment in a house arrest. He's here with him now in his second imprisonment. I mean, this guy was faithful through thick and thin. He doesn't care that it's so dangerous now in Rome to be a Christian. He doesn't care that Paul's been canceled out by the Roman culture and to associate with him might mean to drag his own name in the mud. He is there by Paul's side through it all. And that's rare, but it's a powerful picture of resiliency in friendship. It's a picture of Proverbs 18:24, which tells us, a man of too many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You know, we can know a lot of people. We can have uh, 2,000 friends on Facebook or followers on Instagram and think, well, I'm, I'm very well liked. I'm popular. But man, what about that friend who sticks closer than a brother or a sister? I tell you, I'll take one of those over 100 digital superficial friends any day. Luke is one of those types. What about Mark? Well, Mark wrote the gospel of Mark. So it's kind of interesting. Right here in kind of one verse, Paul drops the names of two of the four authors of the, of the gospels. That's, that's pretty cool. But that's not really the point here. There's a lot more to Mark's story than uh, just, you know, he, he wrote the gospel of Mark in his relationship with Paul. Back in Acts chapter 13, Paul uh, was a lot younger, and he was sent on his very first missionary journey, him and a guy named Barnabas. Well, Mark <clears throat> happened to be a cousin of Barnabas, so he goes along with Paul and Barnabas on this missionary journey so he can help him out. But when it got hard, 
Mark bailed out. He pressed the eject button. He's like, I'm out. Can't do this. So that really irritated Paul. When they get ready to go on missionary trip number two, Acts chapter 15, Barnabas says, hey, let's give Mark a second chance. You know, the kid, he's young. Come on. Paul's like, I ain't having it. This guy is not coming with us. And Paul and Barnabas got into such a big fight about whether or not Mark should come along that they had a falling out and they went separate ways. It's really kind of sad when you, when you think about it. So he and Mark had no relationship at this point. And we don't know the details of where things went back to the right way they should have been. But what we do know here is at the end of his life now, and we know also from Colossians that happened earlier, he and Mark have been reconciled. They have been restored. We see here that the one that Paul thought was untrustworthy, he now says he's trustworthy. He's helpful for the work of the ministry. And he wants to see Mark also. And you know, like Paul and like Mark, we're going to at times experience the need for reconciliation, resiliency, restoration in our relationships. Maybe it'll be big things like, you know, organizational ministry level things like Paul and Barnabas and Mark. But truth is, a lot of times it's just in the day-to-day of living our lives with the people that are around us. Because the thing is, is we're imperfect people, we're sinful people, and we're really good at finding ways to hurt each other. Even without trying. I do that a lot. You know, think about like the closest relationships you have, like marriage, for example. When Chris and I were dating, you know, back in the early 90s, we, we would say things like, oh, I, I can't wait till we're married so I don't have to drive home anymore and we can just cuddle together and be together all the time. And then you get married and you do have some days that are like that, absolutely. But you do have some other days as well where you uh, aren't getting along so well and uh, there's conflict and then you look at each other and say, oh, you You're not going anywhere, are you? (laughs) But you know what? There's going to be conflict. And it's conflict that we can work through because it's worth it. The best relationships, the best relationships are going to lead to conflict. But they're also going to lead to reconciliation and restoration by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Paul's relationships with Luke and Mark show us Authentic community is marked by resiliency and restoration. Now moving on to verse 12. He says, but Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak which I left at Troas with Carpus and the books, especially the parchments. Well, what do these verses show us about authentic community among God's people? They show us that they reflect a heart to serve others. Let me tell you how I came up with that thought. First of all, Tychicus. Anybody know who this guy is? You got like a Tychicus study Bible or a t-shirt or something? I mean, like who is this guy? Well, do you know this guy is actually mentioned in the New Testament five times? He was actually a, a pretty, you know, major player in the kingdom work. But he's this incredible behind the scenes kind of a guy who always serves just wherever the need happened to be. He didn't have to be doing any one certain thing. But the descriptions that Paul gives him include phrases like this in other parts of his letters. A beloved brother, a faithful minister, a faithful servant, a fellow bond servant. And among the things Tychicus was called to do is he joined Paul on missionary journeys. He delivered the letters 
of Ephesians and Colossians, which might not seem like a big deal, but that was a very dangerous job. You were in danger of wild animals. You were in danger of bad weather. (laughs) Uh, You were in danger of robbers and bandits. You were in danger of those that opposed the gospel and would love to just kill you or take your letter by force before you could ever deliver it. And here he is now. He's the guy who's taking the letter. He says, I've sent him to Ephesus because he's going to take this letter now to Timothy. And that probably means he's also going to stay when Timothy leaves and he's going to serve as kind of the interim pastor while Timothy's gone. But he's just a faithful dude. He didn't care what he was doing for God as long as he got to be a part of what God was doing. Faithful brother. Made his life about serving God, serving others wherever the need was. And, you know, when I think about Tychicus, it makes me think about our church and how thankful I am for the army of volunteers. So many faithful people here. Um, Many of you here sitting are amongst them who just serve behind the scenes in so many different ways and through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what makes our church able to move forward and to do the things that God has called us to do. And do you know that every time you choose to serve, whether that be here at church or at home or to a friend or to a neighbor who's in need, and maybe you serve and maybe it seems like nobody sees this, nobody notices, you know that the Lord sees you and the Lord knows. And just like with Tychicus, God can receive much glory through your faithfulness to serve. We also see this heart to serve in community with God's people by what Paul says uh, in verse 13. He asked Timothy to bring cloak and parchments, and it's like, well, what's going on there? Well, all his stuff was at this dude's house. The guy's name was Carpus. I don't know if he was like a good fisherman or what, but his name's Carpus. He lives in a town called Troas, and all his stuff is there. Why is his stuff there? Well, probably... Because Carpus had served Paul by showing him hospitality, letting him stay at his house. And then the Roman authorities came and arrested Paul at Carpus's house. So he had to leave like really quick. They didn't stop and say, well, why don't you gather up your things and we'll take you to your nice little dungeon cell. And I was like, he just left. But Carpus, he's bold. That's like contraband. I mean, Paul's a, a criminal in this empire and he's not afraid to keep all his books and his cloak and just keep it until somebody shows up to pick it up. And That shows that even sometimes the little things that we might not think are a real big deal are ministry. They can be ministry unto the Lord and unto others. And then Timothy. Timothy has the opportunity to serve here because it's like, okay, Timothy, I want you to leave your church for several months, take a long and dangerous trip, go associate with a wanted criminal, Paul, who's been canceled out. And by the way, go and get Mark. And also, could you pick up my cloak and, you know, and my books? And Timothy doesn't have a U-Haul. I mean, a lot of this is going to be on foot. How's he going to carry all this stuff? but he does it, right? Because Paul needs these things. It's going to be winter. He needs a cloak to keep warm. Um, His mind, he wants to focus on the things of God. These these books, there's a papyrus, which is kind of more fragile, and then there's the parchments, which would be on animal skins, more sturdy, and it's most likely the Old Testament, maybe some of the New Testament writings. Paul wants his mind to be stayed on the things of Christ. He wants to focus on what matters most, and he needs his books to help him do this. He has needs, and so Timothy has the opportunity to serve. But by the way, that also shows service goes two ways. Paul is not afraid to ask for help. It doesn't make him less spiritual. It actually just shows that he's a human being. 
And there's some of you in this room that need to hear that because maybe for you it's a lot easier to serve other people, but you have a really hard time asking for help. You have a really hard time letting people serve you. And you know, sometimes that can actually be a little subtle form of pride. It's like I always want to be in the position to help. And I know because this is something I have struggled with in my past. But do you know that it's a blessing sometimes to let other people serve you and to reach out for help and make your needs known. So this heart of service, it's, it's a reciprocal thing that we serve one another in love, the Bible tells us. If Paul can ask for help, you can too. Well, verse 14 says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. Well, there's three Alexanders mentioned in the New Testament. Uh, also, the, an Alexander that's mentioned in the first letter to Timothy. He may have been the same guy. We don't know for sure because it was a common name. But what we do know is this. Alexander harmed Paul, vigorously opposed the message of the gospel, quite possibly had a hand in Paul's arrest at Troas. And now as Timothy makes this journey, Paul seems to understand that this guy is going to be creeping around and if you come across him, he might try to harm you. So stay away from him. He's not a good person. And what this shows us about authentic community among God's people is that sometimes we need to be protective. We may see somebody who, is, who has entered into a situation or relationships that are toxic, that are abusive, that are dangerous, and we need to warn them to stay away or to get out or even intervene if we feel led that that's what we're supposed to do. And some of us maybe need to hear this also to just realize there's a freedom that you can have in your own life to have some boundaries. You can't help every single person. You can't be in relationship, nor should you be in relationship with every single person. There are certain people that we may say, I need to not be around them. It's not healthy, it's dangerous. So sometimes, Authentic community among God's people is protective. And sometimes, at other times, authentic community among God's people needs to be forgiving. Verse 16, at my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. So what is Paul talking about here? Well, his first defense was when he would have gone on trial in the Roman courts. So when he was first arrested, you kind of go, it's kind of like a preliminary trial hearing, right? And usually people that advocate for the uh, defendant would come and they would say good things about him and try to help out. But in this case, nobody supported Paul. But notice Paul decides, even though he felt abandoned, even though he was left all alone, he doesn't choose bitterness. He chooses in this moment forgiveness. He says, may it not be held against them. Kind of reminds us of the words of Jesus on the cross, right? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And so Paul is able to forgive. Why? Because he walks with Christ. Because he has a heart that is being transformed by Christ. Verse 17, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear and I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. 
Notice where Paul's focus is at here. He is focusing on the Lord, that the Lord was near him, that the Lord gave him strength to do what he was called to do. He sees it as a blessing that he was able to stand in that court and proclaim the gospel to all the Gentiles. Even as they jeer him and mock him, he proclaims the gospel. Just like he told Timothy last week, uh, we saw last week preach in season and out of season. Paul was definitely out of season, but he, he stood for Christ in this moment. And he's able to forgive because he saw that God used him. And that's another key aspect to authentic community is that our capacity to love others will flow out of our own personal relationship with God. There's no substitute for that. That here's Paul in these moments, some of the darkest moments, some of the moments that would speak to say, there's no hope for you. But yet in Paul's life, and maybe you've seen it true in your life at times as well, that for the one who trusts Christ, sometimes it's in those darkest moments, those deepest moments of pain, when the Lord's promises that he is with us become so much more real. And this was true of Paul. It is God's best that we would live in community with other people. But in those moments, hopefully they are rare, like they were for Paul here, when we do find ourselves completely alone, the Lord is there to provide us his strength, to sustain us. And Paul gives him praise that he's rescued him out of the lion's mouth from every evil deed and is gonna bring him safely home to his heavenly kingdom. That phrase about the lion's mouth, there's a lot of possibilities of what it could be, but it seems that it's a reference back to Psalm 22, meaning he's been delivered from danger and from death. And as we've seen the last couple of weeks, it's not that Paul didn't suffer, he did. But the Lord has, to, has been with him through the suffering. And the same is true up to this point. And even now, as Paul knows, he faces death. And it's not going to be easy. It's going to be painful. He knows that the Lord is going to deliver him to his eternal home. That he will be with Christ in his heavenly kingdom. And he'll be safely with him. And so as Paul concludes here, he just gives glory to Christ. And he shows us a pathway to true joy, to walk with God to know he's with us no matter where we find ourselves in life, to know that we've been shown grace that we don't deserve, and to know that even if we die, we'll be with him for all eternity, and to focus glory and say, God, I want you to receive glory over ourselves. And then Paul's able to find joy even in this dungeon that he's in facing death. Well, as we move to verse 19, Paul just starts to kind of name drop, but in a good way, because he's trying to make as many people as he can possibly uh, do know that they matter to him. So verse 19, he says, greet Prisca and Aquila. These were uh, a, a godly couple that Paul met first in the city of Corinth, and they uh, hosted many house churches over the years. They joined Paul in his work. They, they had a, their own business, so they were people of financial means, but Paul remembers in Romans 16 that they risked their lives for him, so that's who they are. Then he says, and also the household of Onesiphorus. Second time this guy's household is mentioned, which means he probably wasn't living anymore because both times he greets not Onesiphorus personally, but his household. Most likely Onesiphorus in his service with Paul gave his life as a martyr. And so Paul honors now his memory. Paul honors his family for that. He says, Erastus remained at Corinth, but Trophimus I, I left sick at Miletus. Uh, both of these men are mentioned in the book of Acts, and, and you can probably link them to be the same guys. Uh, they're valuable members of the team. 
Trophimus, it's interesting that he's left sick, which just kind of shows us that even the Apostle Paul couldn't pray for every single person to be healed, and they would be healed because he had to leave somebody sick in a city. And then he says, make every effort to come before winter. So again, he just reiterates, it's urgent. Get here. Eubulus greets you. Also, Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brethren. We don't know much about those four. Early church tradition tells us Linus uh, became the bishop of Rome. And we also know he was a good friend of Charlie Brown at some point, or his descendant was. But no. But so here's the point, though, with, with this section of the Scripture is that the authentic community here, it's always expanding, that Paul's community was not limited to just a small group, and it's like, hey, it's just us four and no more. No, it's always expanding. In fact, some Bible scholars said that there's over 100 names between his letters and the book of Acts that Paul did ministry with, and then he even gives kind of that blanket, and all the brethren too, in case anybody's name I forgot or whatever. I can't, don't have time to name them all. And so for us, the encouragement and the challenge is we can always, of course, we have those people in our lives that maybe are the closest and that can speak and listen at the deepest levels, but we can always be looking for somebody new to greet, somebody new to welcome in the name of the Lord, somebody new to serve for Christ. And don't miss the urgency in Paul's voice. I mentioned it earlier, but I mention it again. The same Paul who has put his complete hope in Christ also longs to see Timothy. Those two longings, they go hand in hand because Paul's a human. He wants human contact. And we both in our lives as well, we need the presence of the Lord Jesus every day, but we also need this beautiful mess of Christian friendships as well. Well, Paul closes in verse 22, the Lord be with your spirit, grace be with you. He just shows us here that authentic community will lead us to pray for God's best for the other person. He declares this blessing over Timothy while uh, he's in prison while he's on death row. And it's interesting because it starts out with a singular form, the Lord be with your spirit, that's singular. It's only a prayer for Timothy that God's presence would minister constantly to Timothy. But then he says, grace be with you, and that's a plural form for the you, meaning all the people in the church. And that would mean all the people who follow Christ from both 2,000 years ago and all the generations up till now. So it's a prayer actually in a sense that he's saying for us, a blessing that God's grace would also be with us, that we would live under a continual sense, that we live by the grace of God, that we have been shown much grace, that we are accepted by God in Christ. And as we receive the grace, our hope is that our hearts are transformed to say, God, we want you to receive the glory. All of God's love and concern, Paul puts in that statement, and it shows this heart to pray for the best for the other person. Well, the Bible doesn't record Paul's actual final days, but church tradition would tell us that he was led out of the city and he was beheaded. As a Roman citizen, he would, he would not be crucified on a cross, he would be beheaded, and that Paul died. And these then are his final words. Think about that. The final words that Paul writes is expressing this heartbeat for the Lord's glory and his love for the people of God and how much these relationships have meant to him over his life. So, you know, as we think about taking this, this text home into our own lives and applying it, just a couple questions. One would be, 
Have I truly embraced God's vision for authentic biblical community in my life? Am I moving towards it or am I moving away from it? And I would say, first of all, the fact that you're here, that's great. That shows that you're moving towards it. Because we really can't live out as obedient disciples of Christ if we don't embrace God's heart and vision for us as his people to live in community. It's the only way to live out the greatest commandment, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as we love ourselves. It's how we live out the metaphors the Bible talks about of God's people that we're a body that needs all the parts. We're a building, being a, a building of living stones, a temple being built up together uh, with the spirit of God amongst us. It's how we live out the one another's of the New Testament, right? Over and over again. Pray for one another. Love one another. Serve one another. Encourage one another. Bear one another's burdens. Uh, we can't live that out if we don't have relationship. I've heard it said Christianity is a contact sport. It is. Have we embraced this? Paul's life challenges us to consider what it truly means to live a legacy and to live a legacy for God's kingdom. I've heard it said this way, legacy is not what you leave for people, it's what you leave in people. And the second question then is, let's ask ourselves how we can personally and specifically move towards community with God's people. And I want to just share a few very practical thoughts on some ways we can do that. One is when you show up to church, first of all, it's okay if you want to sit in the same place every week. We're creatures of habit, so that's fine. I mean, I pretty much do the same thing, right? But how about this? Sit in the same place every week, but then intentionally look for the people around you that you can talk to and get to know just a little bit. Here at midweek, we might need to move or something. I'm not sure, <laughs> or just yell at each other. Um, but I'll take it a step further. If you consider the well to be your home, it's like this is home for you, I want to encourage you and challenge you to just every week you set foot on campus, find one person that you've never met and greet them. Because if all of us who call the well home would just make it a, a goal to meet one new person a week, every single person who shows up would feel welcomed. Because there's more of us that feel like it's home than don't, I would, I would venture to guess. And maybe it's time to go beyond Sunday. Maybe it's time to jump into one of our groups or our teams here at the well. Or maybe just on a very personal level, you can think this week, who can I reach out to? This week, who could I call? Who could I text? Who's poured into my life? Maybe that I could call and just encourage or somebody I know who's going through a hard time that I could call and say, I just want to pray for you or, or let's go get some coffee. Let's talk. Just, just maybe one person. Start small. It starts with the one and then it moves out and grows from there. Well, let me pray for us if, if we can. And Father God, I just want to thank you for this time. Lord, as we think about Paul and we consider his life, Lord, we're thankful that a man who comes to the very end is living with a burning passion for you, for your gospel, for pouring his lives into others, and to be thankful for the people who he's done life with. And Lord, for each of us, for your glory and for your kingdom's sake, desire to be people who can think about all those who have poured into us and name them and also think 
hey, we would be on somebody else's list as well as a person who served and who loved and who gave our lives. Help us to do that, Lord, for your glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining the Well Community Church Podcast. Be sure to check out thewellcommunity.org or our app, The Well Fresno, for more information on us, ways to connect, service times, and locations.